Open the breach, sound the alarms, deliver the inspirational speech. Let's return with Pacific Rim Uprising. admit i'm wrong <laughs> you're wrong automatically you're you're oh man alex this is a first you I'll, admitted you're wrong before i could even introduce the podcast yeah I, i'm gonna leave it there i'll talk about it a little more later <laughs> <laughs> welcome back to the monsters versus men podcast this is the bargain basement of monster podcasting airwaves where alex is usually wrong but we try what? to stay alive <laughs> <laughs> this week we're discussing pacific rim uprising i'm eric i'm alex Usually wrong, Alex. And <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was wrong about uh, King Kong versus Godzilla as well, if you remember. <laughs> no, no, yeah, you're right. You're right, man. Um, hey, before we jump into Pacific Rim Uprising, no uh, new reviews this week. Uh, if you have a review for us, right, leave it on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast, and we'd be glad to read it on the show we like uh hearing these reviews even reviews that aren't as nice to us as as they could be but we haven't had those yet Please but if that's gentle. you if that's you go for it <laughs> <laughs> we, we would love the reviews uh wherever you listen to your podcast but alex i think we should just jump right in to pacific rim uprising uh because i think we'll have a decent discussion this week i I was kind of surprised with myself a little bit, and we'll get into it, I'm sure. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Let's get into it. All right. So, adios del toro, hola, Steven DeKnight. Out of seemingly nowhere, a sequel arrives, Pacific Rim Uprising. We've dealt with plenty of sequels here on the show and examined the various purposes sequels can have. They can expand upon the original universe. They can focus in on something franchise-specific. Or sometimes they could just simply have fun with the source material. And we've seen both the good and the not-so-good sequels. Mm -hmm. So one, Alex, is this a good sequel? And two, what is its primary purpose? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> like, I really like the film, admittedly. You know, especially after bashing it the last two episodes in a row. But I'm not, you know, I'm not too proud to admit that. But, and we've talked about this before during our King Kong series a bit, and definitely in the Godzilla series, but in regards to sequels and remakes, what makes a good sequel? Like, because this is tonally, musically, characterally, not a real word, thematically different. And in every way, like like the only thing that might be similar is the visuals, but even mm. the even that, there's a strong case to be made that the camera work, especially with humans, mm -hmm. isn't the same because we get a lot of weird side angles and stuff like mm -hmm. that with some of mm -hmm. them. Uh, very almost like Sam Raimi and original Spider Man, but uh, so there's a strong argument to be made. That even that only pertains to the Jaegers. Uh, there's yeah. just some really interesting questions to be asked about this, but in the vein of not talking about that and talking about the film, <laughs> I'll just say yes. <laughs> like, yes. The film is good. I liked it quite a bit, actually. And, and yeah, there's definitely some issues. Uh, but this viewing, they're really relatively minor overall. And as mm. for its primary purpose... I'm not sure. Like you, you could make some sort of mundane capitalist argument, which let's be real. That's how the world works. There is money involved in everything, but based on the box office of the original film, you can't really say that wholeheartedly. Uh, it wasn't quite successful enough for that motivation to be completely cash grab. I really do think it was maybe more so the idea of this kind of perfect world being built. And all the work's been done. You just got to add some robots to it. It needs to be explored more. There's so much that we don't want to go to waste. Like, mm. this franchise has so much potential. 
this this franchise has Godzilla and King Kong potential. Yeah. You could make 30 movies out of this thing. And I honestly think that that just can't even really be disputed. Yeah. Well, Alex, the fact that I didn't even think about cash grab, you know, and, and I'm, I can be pretty cynical um, yeah. if we're being honest, right? <laughs> the fact that I didn't think about cash grab is probably a testament to my view on this movie. Uh, there's actually quite a bit I admire here because it does some of the very things that I wish the original had done. (laughs) Um, and some of those complaints with the original are directly addressed in this one. And I'm sure I'll get into that here in a bit, but as to the purpose of this film that I asked you, I, I think there's enough fun here to completely justify it. Um, this one doesn't take itself as seriously as the original. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, so the off-the-wall characters, which are even more off-the-wall in this one, to me, they fit better into this universe. I do have reserved praise for this film, but as I told you already, um, this exceeded my expectations, absolutely, based on what I've heard and based on what others have said, including you, Alex. I was like, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and I was curious, so I looked up the Rotten Tomato rating of this one after I watched it, and there's a 43% critic score. That didn't surprise me at all. Yeah. But then there was a 38% audience score that definitely did surprise me. So what do you think yeah. audience expectations were for this film that made it such or that that gave it such a negative response, right? 38%, a lower score than the critic score. That's saying something. That's it, it, it's pretty unheard of when a critic score is that low. Especially for something like this, like a, yes. a fan-driven content release, right? Right, right. And it's lower than the critic score? Hmm. That, Interesting. That, that, seeing that tells me one thing pretty clearly that I don't know most scores would, and that is the type of people that put in the reviews are fans, right? <laughs> Uh, and that might be why you see something like The Last Jedi, which everyone knows I don't like, but it has a really low score, like a really low user score, mm-hmm. way worse than this one. <laughs> um, and I think that that says that the average audience goer doesn't put a score in when they leave right. the theater. Right? Yeah, no, no. Uh, which is something I may have used to have thought uh, when I when these apps first came out. I think a lot of people actually may have done that, but over time, we don't have time for that anymore. Uh, <laughs> not not me, but just the general population. Now, as for things that may have contributed to that score, first off, Raleigh is completely absent. No explanation at all about him. He's just mentioned offhandedly one time and mm-hmm. like what he has done. Fine, whatever. It sucks that he's not in this. Kind of a bitter pill to swallow, but we'll get over it. But it's really his co-star, the killing of Mako, is really what I think hurt a lot of people's expectations. It's for for me and a lot of people and everyone I've really talked to. This is the worst moment of the film: is the killing of Mako in such a lame way. It is a surprise, but I feel like it's a letdown. And while the blow is softened by the rewatching for me, like it was really softened. It's it's hard to not at least wanted a more interesting end for her character. Even if they didn't kill her, they could have done it in a almost Pentecost fashion where she sacrifices herself or maybe let her be in the film a little bit more because it's almost too soon. The only reason I feel like I even had any attachment to her character is because I just watched the previous film. I don't know if they've developed her enough in this film for anyone to really care if this was like maybe their first movie. And that, that's definitely the big one. Now, another thing is that we randomly get a Pentecost son, which is completely unnecessary if you ask me. Uh, and I, I don't have a huge problem with it, but it's, you know, he's not referenced at all in the other film. There's no like, tell my son I love him <laughs> moment for him. So, it really makes Pentecost like an off, look like the worst dad ever <laughs> in a lot of ways, which isn't that hard to believe, seeing that he, uh, the way he acts in, in the previous film. Of course, the way he, act, he treats Mako, we do see a love there. So it, it's really odd in that way. Now, 
There's this other issue, and that's the deaths in the film. Overall, they're they're kind of handled with kid gloves. We don't really have very many, aside from Mako, have an impact. Like we get Mako, and we get the boob boy, which <laughs> actually is sad because he is played up for laughs a lot of the film, mm-hmm. which makes him kind of enjoyable. He's one of the few crew members that actually does feel like a little bit of a character. So when he does die, there is an impact. But I feel like they should have killed more of the kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In unsurprising Honestly, fashion I was surprised me. that they killed any of the kids. When it happened, I was actually surprised. I was yes. like, I thought no one's going to get killed here. And that was going to be a critique. But then we did kill some. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, and I think there was another, there were two others that were killed as well. Um, but none were quite as impactful as boob, boob guy. (laughs) Well, who were the other two that were killed? Was there, there was a separate Jaeger that both of them died. Uh, no, everyone survived. So we got the whip one where one guy died. Uh Uh We've got the one with the three pilots. All three of them survived. And then we've got the karate Jaeger (laughs) for Mm -hmm. lack of a better term. And both of them survive. Interesting. Maybe I, I'm, I'm probably mistaken. You, you do see two pilots die in the three pilot Jaeger. You see them get stomped on when the autopilot Jaegers, they stomp on the head and kill two of them that are inside. But uh-huh. we don't ever even see what they look like. So, right. right. Hmm. Yeah. But, the, the, you know, it, it's that lack of it. It kind of hurts a little bit of the stakes of the film. And then also, you know, the soundtrack's not that good. There's a few tracks in it that I really do like, but overall, it's pretty suboptimal compared to the last one. And, you know, in the end, though, Eric, I really want to know what you think about this theory. And this, and that's that a lot of people think this film should have been Guillermo del Toro or Bust. I know a lot of people wanted him back. Hell, I think he, I know that he really wanted to come back, but he's just kind of too busy. Especially at this point. And nothing really fell into place with this. Like Rally was supposed to be in the uh supposed to be in this film and then he's not. And they didn't address anything about him because they wanted to save him for another movie. Like they actually killed him off and they deleted the scene where they uh mentioned that he died from cancer. Hmm. <laughs> so because they felt like it didn't do him justice, but then they kill Mako the way she does, and it doesn't really do her character a lot of justice either. So I don't know, man. There's a lot of things going against it if you have these expectations. I I can see why people didn't like it, but the 38% is still. Well, look, I didn't have sort of those sort of expectations, right? Right. And I agree with some of your points. I did. There was a sense, there was that sense that we had kitty gloves on (laughs) during our battle scenes. I, I agree with you. Um, even with the fact that I thought we killed more characters than we actually did. I was, I, I thought, yeah, the kitty gloves are on here. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm with you right there, but to address a couple of your points, I found myself absolutely not caring that Raleigh was absent. Actually, mm. you know, now that I look back on it, I was glad. Um, and honestly, like even thinking about it more, this was actually a major issue I had with Pacific Rim. I just never bought into him as our main character. Yeah, you never liked no, him. No. Or, I mean, there's just no no you never connect- cared, I guess. Yeah, there's no connection there. However, John Boyega's Jake, you said uh, the the Pentecost son connection didn't work for you. I thought it did. And I thought Boyega brings a whole lot of charisma and a whole lot of charm right off the bat. I mean, you have a character that is out of place in this world um, and who is absolutely vulnerable while at the same time being Stacker's son, right? Which brings all sorts of expectations onto him. Yes, is it weird that Pacific Rim didn't address the fact that he had a son? Absolutely. But the way that this character is written in here, in this film, and the way Boyega plays him, subverts both the audience expectation and the expectations of those around him. And and thinking of Mako, who was my standout character in the first one, I didn't like her death. I didn't. But I, I don't think I was supposed to like her death. Uh, I didn't expect it. And I think that's why it actually worked. You know, it might have been in, uh, we might have talked more about this in our MVM Plus last week than in the actual episode. But 
as I, as I told you last week, Mako last week played more of the Luke Skywalker type of character in Pacific Rim, whereas Raleigh's character was almost more of the Obi-Wan character. Well, here, Mako has definitely putting in, in it, it stepped into that role of uh, kind of the, the sage, right? She is the wise one who is guiding Jake's character. And so her death in, in that sort of sense makes sense in progressing Jake's character and who he is. I think if you don't buy into Jake, then you probably will struggle with Mako's death um, because of how the story progresses. However, yeah, I mean, does it suck that she dies in the way that she dies? Yes. Do I wish Mako had more screen time? Absolutely, because she was my favorite part in Pacific Rim. So I understand that, but I had bought into Jake as a character up until that point, and so maybe mm. that's why I didn't ha- quite have uh, as many reservations mm. as you did. Yeah, um, I, you know, Jake is, I think, a point of contention for a lot of people. I think a lot of people think he's overacted and that he's a complete idiot. I think he is overacted at the beginning of the film, um, and, and I know that. Later on, it is more of a facade to cover himself up. But I do feel like the beginning of the film, he is almost a completely different character. And it's not on purpose. I feel like it's... Maybe they didn't know what they wanted to do with him. They didn't know what kind of tone... And I know films aren't shot from beginning to end. But that's how it feels when I'm watching it. I feel like they don't know what they want to do with this character until he gets on the base. And then... Things start becoming more clear. His character starts to, his ridiculousness starts to fade uh, until that moment between him and oh, Scott Eastwood's character. Um, no, Eric. no, Nate Lambert, they're in the kitchen and Scott calls him out for the way he behaves, covering up something else deeper. And then we see that character really grow. I, I I don't hate that. I'm I'm not someone who dislikes the characters. Now you did mention that you think the characters fit better in this ep- in this movie in the universe than they did in the previous one. And what I'm I talking don't... about there, I'm talking specifically about Herman and Newton. They okay. fit better here oh, okay. than they did in Pacific Rim. Okay, okay. Because I was going to say, in general, I think the characters in this are dumber. <laughs> but just, I also think I also think the film is a bit dumber. But I don't really mean that in a negative way, <laughs> even though <laughs> it totally sounds like it, right? Because uh, I, do, I don't dislike that aspect of it. But I do, I, all I'm getting at is that I think the original characters from the original film fit the original film's tone just as well for me. Except for, and as you said, you could make that argument for uh, the, uh, what, uh, Gottlieb and Giesler. You could really make, you can make an argument for them that I would be willing to listen to. And and I think it's these character differences that maybe hurt a lot for the hardcore fans. Because this intro, while I really loved it with Scrapper, I think it's actually really cool this time mm-hmm. around. Mm-hmm. It feels like a ripoff of Transformers, 100%. Yeah. Uh, especially my first viewing of it. I really felt that way. I didn't feel that way this time. But I remember sitting in the theater going, oh, this kind of, this is kind of really kitty and weird feeling. <laughs> uh-huh. So so there's these weird points like that, but back to Mako's death, I, I do think yeah. you make an interesting argument about that, about it being more impactful because it really is un- unexpected. And while I actually completely agree with that idea of it being unexpected and therefore being impactful, I also think it was the wrong choice, especially since we don't really get that emotional ra- uh, Raleigh follow-up so we completely miss this awesome emotional moment to make her death not only impactful for jake but also raleigh to tie up that but like we could have just seen him at the funeral and it would have been like one of the sad like really horrible but instead you know like i said earlier they just he didn't even show up because they wanted to save save him for uh, another movie now Mm -hmm. my only other real criticism for the movie is the mount fuji plot point because surely, you know, <laughs> if the kaiju were all going to one epicenter, this would have been <laughs> discovered much, much earlier. Because we have a lot more kaiju 
a lot more data to go through than these like seven that they decided to look at or something like that. Mm -hmm. That whole plot point is really weak, but it does lead to this really awesome action sequence because this film's action sequences are just as, uh, maybe not quite as good, but almost as good as the original, uh, mm. especially the Hong, the Hong Kong sequence because, all right, before I get to, to Mount Fuji, we get the awesome moment, the awesome, uh, what's it, what's it called? What's the Kaiju Jaeger? What was it called? Uh, Obsidian Fury. Obsidian Fury. Yeah. Those moments are awesome. Yeah. How cool was it to see an Jaeger versus Jaeger fight? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it, it's just really cool. And you really do get that feeling that there's something different about this Jaeger with how it moves. Yeah. Because it is, and they even mentioned it a couple of times. It's like, how did it move like it did? And it's because, oh, the whole thing is living, which is just a really cool. I, I do want to know what you thought about that plot point of it actually yeah, who became the bad guy and all that. But we also get the awesome automated Jaegers going full Evangelion <laughs> and turning into these monsters in this really cool hangar sequence, yeah. which is just, it, the whole thing is just so cool. And then Mount Fuji is also awesome. Like we, yeah, we, it is. We, we can tell that these are, I think they're Gen 7, 6 or 7 Jaegers. And it's clear that they are way more advanced than mm-hmm. the ones we saw. Because I think we went up to Gen 4 right. in the previous film. But most of them were Gen 3 and below. Right. And it's really cool to see the evolution of technology in this universe. Because like the karate one with the dual uh, batons. <laughs> it's like oh, yeah. it moves on like anything else. Now, there probably is an argument to be made whether they should move that much. Yeah, that's my um, argument. <laughs> there's definitely an argument to be made whether they should be able to move as much as they did. But it is yeah. believable, at least, that 10 years later, they would be able to advance the technology that much. Yeah, I mean, that is kind of my critique. One critique that I have. And I hear some of your other points. Um, I, I hear them. I, I actually, I didn't have as, as big a problems. Like... <laughs> Like Mount Fuji plot point, okay, I'm I'm rolling with it at this point. But <laughs> that's okay. It's fine, right? Yeah. The 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 plot point with um Newton becoming the bad guy, okay, yeah. Like uh, it's, I, it's, I actually like it. Yeah, it's like it works. Him and his girlfriend fine. Alice taking over the world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know. It's weird, but you know, I with that plot point though, I actually did appreciate um Luen Xiao's character, you know, his boss. Oh, yeah. Her development, actually, like as a character. I never thought that, that she would team up with the team to kind of help them at the end. I just mm-hmm. didn't see that coming. Um, but I, I did like that aspect, you know, as she comes around and, and, and has to kind of work with the team. That was really cool. I do think what's, the strongest- what's really funny about that real quick is uh-huh. that they set her up to be the bad guy. But it's yeah. funny because the bad guy is setting her up to be the bad guy in our perspective. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, for sure. And you know what's to me, I, I, I'm right with you. Obsidian Fury, up until the point where he is destroyed, actually, I actually think that's the best part of the film. Um, the final battle and sequence is a little bit <laughs> long and a little bit. It's yeah. okay. It does feel. I, I think I made the Transformers comparison last week. But I, I take that back after watching this one, right? Because this one is definitely more Transformer-esque. Um, and, and especially with those those action scenes in the city at the end, the Jaegers just move too fast and are just too agile. And so we lose that man-in-the-suit feel that despite being CGI, the original at least attempted to deliver. There, there was a weight to these Jaegers, yes. right? They had a real world presence to them. They did. They did. They had a real world presence. I like that description. And the kaiju, to be fair, the kaiju still feel that way for the most part in this movie. Mm-hmm. But the Jaegers are just like these springy, larger than life, uh, defy physics type of mechanics. And and I'm, I, I do not like that. Just a personal taste. I do not like that as much as what we saw in Pacific Rim. Now, do you think, and this is just something I just now realized, really, mm-hmm. is that we never spend time in the drift. 
in this one. Not really. Yeah. We, we, we see a few uh, scenes with Amara. Yes. Um, we see a few yeah. scenes with Amara. Yeah. But other than that, I don't feel like we get that human connection between the pilots that we yeah. got in the previous film, which and is I unfortunate. If, if they had developed that, if these, if these would have felt more human or not. Now, mm. my guess is probably not. No, I think <laughs> they still would have been like crazy agile, but, um, no, I think that's another good point. As I said, one thing I wanted to see, and this film didn't really dive into it, is I wanted to see more of an exploration of the drift in that first film. But this film does take advantage of the fact that the first film, it had a lot of exposition that was interesting. We both thought the exposition was interesting. It, this film had a lot less exposition, actually. Um, yeah. It just kind of went for it. And does that make for a dumber film sometimes? Yes, well. right? No, I mean, okay. you would argue that, you know, the good thing is that Pacific Rim laid all the groundwork for it. So yeah. this one didn't really have exactly. to do it. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So so my first critique really is is that action. Uh, second critique really is, yeah, it doesn't quite have the um, sophistication as the first one does. It all feels a little bit more plastic, which is OK, because it's a different tone of a film for me. Um, and then my last critique is there, there are probably just too many secondary characters, specifically the cadets. There's just way too many of them to, to even name. And yeah. then Jules, I think, is just a character that's thrown in there um, as like kind of a love interest. Yeah, triangle that whole sort of thing, thing is weird. It's just she like, needed more time for me yeah, exactly, to care exactly. or just cut her completely. Yeah, so you just don't care about them. Uh, and, and there's not enough to care about and not enough is provided for them for us as the audience to care about them. It doesn't have that same quick hitting character mm-hmm. work that we saw in Kong School Island that we watched a few weeks ago. Yeah, no, that's I, for sure. I got another question for you. So you know yeah. the cadets, you and me, neither one of us really connected with them except for maybe the boob boob boy, as we're going to call them, because <laughs> they don't. They kept calling. I don't even know what his real name was, but um, they, I didn't care about them less than uh. Crimson Typhoon and Alpha Cherno or Cherno Alpha in the right. previous film. Exactly. And I don't know why that is. Well, is it I'll because tell you of their character designs and we get we watch them die? What is no, it? No. Well, I mean, here's the problem with this. And here's the problem that I have. It's not that they're characters in the film. It's that there is a little bit of attempted character development that just doesn't really provide character development. Mm. And yeah. so we spend time with them, but we get no real, we don't really care about them despite spending time with them. Right. Yeah. Whereas in Pacific Rim, you're like, oh man, here are some really bad egg characters. Uh, and they've actually got like, like design to them too. Yeah, exactly. Right? They, they like, you can just look at them and build an entire world around them just based off of what their appearance, right? Their design. Yeah. Uh, and you're like, oh my gosh, these are really cool. Like they, these are invincible type tough people that are going to get in there and kill some kaiju and then they're gone (laughs) (laughs) which is cool like that like that is cool in itself the problem here is that we get some attempted character development but we still just don't care um because there's just too many characters uh and, and there's other characters that are just have more more charisma and that's fine um but i would say just scrap most of that that to me that was unnecessary in the film. And when you put those things together and you, you start to look at these little flaws in the film, you start to see why it might have the audience score that we mentioned, right? It's like, if you were a fan, you're probably more likely on rotten tomatoes to, if you're a fan and you were like, Oh my gosh, I did not like what they did with this franchise. You're more likely to go, you know, put that negative review up on rotten tomatoes because you were more likely to see it in the first place. To me, as someone that had mixed feelings on the first one, I did not have any sort of like expectation of what I wanted to see or what I even like cared to see in this one. So I was just along for the ride. And because of that, I think I had an overall better experience. Yes. Uh, uh, I'm glad I could do that for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, uh, on MVM Plus today, we are having an interview, really more of a discussion with one of our, our other executive producer, Michael Herndon. We get into just about a bit of everything. We get into the Leprechaun franchise, <laughs> Godzilla versus Kong, 
um, Monster Hunter, right? You guys give your takes oh, yeah. on Monster Hunter, which yeah. I haven't seen yet, but you all <laughs> saw. And he have sells us on Congo. <laughs> he sells us on Congo. There's a whole bunch in there um, that you will probably enjoy if you check us out over at patreon.com slash mvmpod. But let's let's go ahead and jump into these awards, Alex, starting with the coolest character. You go first, as always. Yeah, this is someone we've barely even mentioned at all, but I have to give it to Scott Eastwood's Nate Lambert. He is a... He's probably almost even an easy character to forget about, but he is actually the true leader <laughs> of this movie. Mm-hmm. It's not Pentecost. Nate, uh, Nate Lambert has a ton of patience with uh, Pentecost, and he's the whole reason Pentecost comes out of it. The whole reason Jake has his turnaround moment is because he is willing to have patience. He doesn't give up on, on him ever. And he puts up with him. And he knows how to delegate. Like he, he knows when to put Jake front and center. He knows when his time to get out of the Jaeger is. Something that I don't think Jake would have known. I think Jake would have tried to, uh, if he was wounded, would have tried to push through instead of relenting to somebody else. And that's why I think he's really cool. He never loses his cool. And even when he's wounded, he's like, he already knows what to do. He's like, I want her. I want, she's, she's the pilot now. She yeah. can do it. No, and- I like, so honestly, I really like him as well. Um, and at the beginning, when you're first introduced to him as a character, you're like, ah, this guy is just going to be like the major yep. jerk of the you, film. You think you know exactly what he's going to be. You've seen yeah. him in the movie a million times and he's right. not. Exactly. But he's not like, there's more to that character um that meets the eye that's for sure i this isn't pick. transformers no it's not get it? it's not more than meets the eye get it like <laughs> uh, yeah there you go <laughs> uh jake pentecost is my choice though uh as i already said i really like this character um hearing those critiques of his character that some people thought uh he was overacted or just really dumb at the beginning yeah i get it i get it but like that's what actually gives us uh, a journey and gives us something to to latch on to. Yeah. There's more to these characters than just that surface level. The characters that we care about, which are really uh, Pentecost and uh, Lambert. You can make the case, I think, for Amara as well. Yeah. These are characters that you, you do actually care about because we have some time with them. Um, yeah, and Pentecost for me works. I, I like the fact that he is Stacker's son. Um, it's, it's off the wall. Uh, we didn't expect it. I didn't expect it. Um, but it maybe again, that's going into my expectations and, and what I was seeing from the film. I was just like, all right, like <laughs> I like yeah. at the beginning, he gives us that sort of, um, monologue that, uh, Raleigh's <laughs> character gave us last time. And, but yeah. it's, it's a lot shorter and it's just like my father, you know, was a hero, I'm not my father. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's just right off the bat. Yeah. He's dumb or he does dumb stuff. I should say, I don't, he, I don't think he's dumb, but he no, does dumb, dumb stuff. Um, and we see that, right. It shows us this <laughs> versus telling us. So I, I appreciate that. I, and, and I agree with you. I actually don't think this character is as dumb or useless as he, as a lot of people seem to think I actually really enjoyed his arc. And again, that moment between him and Nate where we see the facade finally mm-hmm. fall is, 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 is a good scene. And it's just, it really changes the character for, for me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I don't agree with, uh, the, the, the idea that like, I think it is purposeful. I think the way that he acts at the beginning is that facade. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, I see that at the beginning, but, but then again, you know, it could be, <laughs> I, I see your point there, but I, I think he's uh, playing into that facade that later breaks down uh, as the film progresses. It doesn't mean he's lost all of that. Like you're right with, with Nate's character, Nate Lambert. And you, you see Jake Pentecost trying to push through by himself when it was virtually impossible going to probably kill himself trying to do something at the end that he couldn't do right um so I, I i see your i see the critique there for sure people are too hard on him um honestly this character is way better than 
his Star Wars character. <clears throat> um, <laughs> so I actually, I actually really do think that, but I don't know. If, I don't think that should be a hot take. Um, he would probably say the same thing. I think so. <laughs> I think he might actually too. Um, so my most, you know, what? I, I would really like to see his character team up with Raleigh. That'd be really cool. In a third, be film. interesting. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Uh, the most memorable line award, Eric. What do you got? So mine comes in a conversation. It's not a typical line for me. I just, I was like, yeah, I, I agree with what's being said here. Uh, it's when Amara realizes who Jake is, Stacker Pentecost's son. And, and Jake says, it's just a name. And she's like, yeah, a really cool name. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, come on, Stacker Pentecost is an awesome freaking name. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I've been thinking this for the last couple of weeks now. Like, <laughs> what a name. <laughs> what a name. <laughs> yeah. What about yeah. you, man? Uh, mine's actually by, uh, <laughs> um, mine's actually by uh, Newton Geisler. It's after Mako gets killed and his boss almost gets killed. And he says, he says, my boss almost got, he's talking to Alice. He says, mm-hmm. my boss almost got killed. That could have been bad. Maybe. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> that would have been great, actually. That one's all over me. <laughs> I, I'm, like, I'm like, this line feels pretty relatable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really good. Uh, I yeah. actually think he does a, a much... Actually, no, not much, but I do think he does a better job in this film. And it might be to what you're saying. He yeah. might fit this film better than he did the other that, one. That's what I think. That's what I think. I uh, can't believe that acting award, Alex. You know, I'm going to give it to the girl that plays young Amara in her flashback. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, that's random, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is because I can't really, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, but I, I think she does a really good job. Of, I don't know if it's the moment or her, but I just feel like she does a good job selling like the... Uh, the, the sadness of the moment and the, the horror of family being <laughs> that was a pretty on. horrific moment for sure it, it, it is i mean like you know it's coming you yeah, know oh, it's yeah. coming yeah, but yeah, just yeah. when you see it you're like oh like this is like even worse than that. you're like oh crap yeah <laughs> <laughs> so maybe i should give it to the kaiju that stepped on her family i don't know yeah yeah it was rough uh so mine is actually burn gorman as herman Wow. Um, yeah. So this is, I would not have chose this last week, but to kind of say, like to go into that point we were just talking about, I just think he fits better in this film and his little um, eccentric movements, his eccentric actions, they all fit better here. And it seems like there's some actual nuance to his character, which it's hard to believe that I'm saying it because they were, Newton and Herman were kind of, Another thing that I wasn't sold on in Pacific Rim. But here, with this lighter tone, I think Herman really works. And I think Bern Gorman plays him really, really well. Like, it would be easy to phone in this performance, but he he puts some effort into bringing this character to life. I I think I can see that here. Um, So I really appreciated him here. Yeah, you know... In that vein, because I, I completely agree with you, I'm going to put Charlie Day as my can't believe that acting award. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I do think he did a good job. He sold me on the slightly crazed. He also didn't oversell, like where I don't know who's really in charge. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's the, and he he sells that waxing and waning of who's really in control, who's not, and yeah. then he just he's just so eccentric. Honestly, he's just so goofy and fun, and I just really enjoyed him in this film. It works lot. for this film better. I I didn't appreciate yeah, I, him. I really did not like love him. Just watching the f- the fight happening and like rooting for the kaiju. Oh, it yeah. just felt like super. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like the worst use of a human. <laughs> it's a but. little heavy handed, but well, you know, we didn't mention it. What do you think about the merging of the three kaiju? Did you like that or not? That was fine. I was fine with that. I thought okay. that was kind of cool. I mean, yeah, is it over the top? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but it's fine, right? Like <laughs> this is. film it's is over fine. the top. I just, I didn't, I don't love the, even in an over-the-top film, I don't love the cheerleader on the side. This so is how we're going to incorporate not, our You're not a it. Gamera versus Jiger fan where they keep telling them what moves to do. Gotcha. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
What about your standout effect? Um, yeah, there's a lot <laughs> to like, but you know what? I, I'm going to give it to the Mako scene, actually, or Mako mm-hmm. scene, where I keep saying Mako. Uh, I'm going to give it to the Mako scene. I like the way they use the 3D hologram inside of the Jaeger mm-hmm. when we see Jake. Uh, miss her helicopter and we see the holograms going cool. past him. I really like the way that they use these holograms in the Jaegers. Like they're scanning the outside perfectly. Mm-hmm. It's just a really cool effect that really sells the moment. That plus the scraping of the fingers on the helicopter because he's like yeah. that close. That whole thing is pretty good. It is good. Yeah, it is good. Uh, so my standout effect, I'm actually going to give to a design, I guess. A sort yeah, of a character. That's okay. Sort of that's a monster, sort of a Jaeger. And so that has to be Obsidian Fury, right? It's <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, Obsidian Fury is a really cool element of this film. I actually thought if there was a clever idea in this movie that kind of added on to the ideas of the first, is this one, right? Mm-hmm. Um it's Obsidian Fury and this idea of a kaiju Jaeger mix. So um, I, I really like that. Maybe, um, you know, I, I, I literally have no idea that I could be completely projecting right now. But when I, when I am thinking now about Obsidian Fury, you know, it's a black Jaeger and, and uh, Pacific Rim. Is it called Into the Black? The Black. The Black. Maybe there's a connection there. Who knows? <laughs> oh, man. I can't wait. I can't wait. That would be really cool if Obsidian Fury has some sort of role in, in the anime. So we'll mm. see. We'll see. Who knows? Be what about your, uh, oh, that's a good shot award? You know, it, here here we are doing our sunset shot. Um, You're doing a sunset shot. I am. Right. I am. The, the, the sunset suicide dive at the end of the film oh, where they, cool. they enter that free fall state. After yeah. the rocket goes out and they, they they eclipse the clouds or above it, and we see it from the shot is from behind them as they begin to float, and we you know Gypsy's front visor is completely cracked in the front, mm-hmm. and we see the sunset as they start to drift below the clouds. Mm-hmm. It it's pretty awesome. It's, it's like the most absurd moment, and it's it's pretty great. <laughs> Who's the sunset guy now, Alex? That's what I, know, I want. To know. I know. This is like two in the last few weeks. Yeah. Well, if you're the sunset guy now, that must make be me the Transformers guy, I guess, because the <laughs> shot that I'm going with feels straight out of a Transformers movie. It's very Michael Bay esque, and it's this arc shot during the drone base attack, which is another standout action sequence. Okay? This is a Michael Bay shot. It is a hundred percent a Michael Bay shot, <laughs> it and is. it is. The arc shot where the camera moves around Amara's character, but you see all this action happening around Amara. What I like about it, though, is that we actually see her absorbing what's happening. It's just a nicely crafted and choreographed shot that, yes, would appear in a Transformers movie, but honestly, primarily to focus on uh, like the character's design, like I think we've seen these shots like around uh, like any of the Transformers, you'd have an arc shot. Here, what's really cool about the arc shot that makes it dynamic is the fact that we get to see the action and the reaction, right? Um, so I really appreciated that about this shot in particular. Yeah, it, it is a fun shot, but you're right. In that moment, I'm like, when, when it happens, I'm like, this is... This is a Michael Bay moment. <laughs> Michael Bay moment. Absolutely. I don't appreciate you associating me with Michael Bay that much. Uh, let's course, be honest, Alex. I don't have the hate for him like a lot of people do. So, I don't. I, I mean, that. I have no hate for Michael Bay. He makes movies that make money. So well, that's good. He does, good he does him. do that so. typically, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I guess that brings us to our rating and ranking. Eric, yeah. I can't wait to hear what you have to say. Well, Look, I'll, I'll keep it short and sweet because we've talked about this film now, and I think I've stated my points. Um, I was it exceeded expectations. I was surprised uh, by what I watched, not in the fact that I was watching something that was supremely crafted um, and that was building upon and expanding upon the original universe that Del Toro created, but that it gave us something fun, 
right? Something fun that I could just enjoy. Literally, I ate popcorn while watching this movie, Alex, uh, uh, which probably yeah. wouldn't surprise you too much. But I, I ate no. popcorn while watching this movie uh, and had a good time with it. I was like, what is what is the big complaint about this movie? I We have watched much dumber films that <laughs> kaiju fans like a whole lot more than this one. <laughs> Yes. So I'm like, what is the big complaint here? Uh, And I think it comes down to your expectations heading in to the film and how big a fan you are of the first one and of the characters and and everything involved with that first film. Because I had those lower expectations because I I, I still have some um, doubts and some questions and, and some desires from that first film. This film gave me a little bit of what I wanted. It gave me that hero's journey in a sense uh, with Jake Pentecost. Now I did it in a slightly cheaper and generic sort of way. If I could combine these two films into one perfect Pacific Rim film, I think we could have had a franchise of uh, like an amazing franchise that would appeal to general audiences everywhere. But we don't, we've got the first film and this film. So this film I'm going to give a three out of five, which is only a half a star lower than I gave Pacific Rim last week. Wow. Pretty good. You know, with the praise you lauded on it, I was wondering if it might be the same. No, Um, no, because I I still have the issues with it. I mean, uh, I I still think taking a realistic approach with it, um, there are some real issues, of course, that I've already mentioned. To me, it's a three out of five for the fun that I had with it. Yeah, I, you know, for me, Pacific Rim is pretty much a, it's pretty perfect on its own for me. Um, And I think that's how a lot of fans feel. And the idea of not having Del Toro present, you see it in the film. And you see the lack of the same music and the camera work. And, you know, the characters, there's a lot missing. But if you take this at its own value, there is a lot of fun to be had and some interesting world building and some interesting enemies. And then, like, there's a lot to like here. Uh, even there's even some decent characters. Like, there's some good characters here. I, the film doesn't deserve the hate. It doesn't deserve the hate that I gave it. <laughs> um, and, you know, that's a, uh, that's a whole nother question on letting others perceptions alter your own, whether you know, are aware of it or not. And cause I remember walking out of the theater, not hating it. And then over time I really came to dislike it. And I think I, cause I focused on things that really aren't that, that big of a deal, maybe. And that's the death of Mako and, a little bit of the stakes being lost maybe towards the end for my feelings. But again, uh, the action's pretty superb. I love the alien bad guy. Our two scientists are better in this than they were in the previous film. You know, it. W- the only thing goofy that could have been added was Chow. And instead he's just referenced in one line. Because mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> he probably would have fit in this film better than the previous one. But it's like you said, we are missing the groundedness of the previous film that I do miss with, especially with the Jaegers and some of the impact of the battles really was a little more lacking in this one. Uh, Not quite as tense, but this is a movie that I feel like all the guys you fans should see. I mean, it's like you said, we've seen way worse that are way more critically (laughs) that are way more lauded and praised in this community. And I don't get the hate. I, I, I don't get it. I feel like we've maybe let other people influence our opinions or our expectations, like you said, influence us in a film that we shouldn't let that happen. And so I'm going to give this a 3.5 out of 5. That's a, a 7 out of 10 for you. You expect me to say the wrong thing usually. <laughs> and it, this is a really good ride. Like I told, I told uh-huh. Cece right after I finished this, I just wanted to watch both of them all over again. There you go. That's awesome. Well, now we get to watch the anime. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> I can never I get the wait. name right, so I'm not even going to try anymore. <laughs> Pacific Rim, the black. The black. So think of it like it's an area. All right. The black. The black. It'll probably make sense when I watch it. So, yes. um, 
Yeah, I mean, I'm right with you, Alex. It tells us, it tells the audience, our our viewers, our listeners, I should say, it tells our listeners a little bit about us that I was the one that was kind of praising this film most of the time, and I gave it a three, <laughs> and you were critiquing it, and you gave it a three point five. That's awesome. Man, I didn't think I was critiquing it, but as much as I think it feels like I was critiquing it a lot, it's because I'm trying to give the perspective of people that didn't like it, like why. Yeah why there is hate on this and i actually i talked to somebody about this uh, i think it was actually g uh g man mm-hmm. and he said that this is the june fukuda film to hondas right in terms of like godzilla films and I'm, i see it i, I see think, it now that he said it yeah i think it's very appropriate yeah yeah no i, I you know i had a whole lot of fun with it so much much better than expected so um but Hey, next week, Alex, no rhyme time this week, because next week we have a special episode. Um, Because guess what's coming up? I don't know if you've heard of this film. Mm. Um, There's a film that we're going to cover here just in about a week or so. Um, Small release. Uh, I haven't heard (laughs) too much about it. Uh, It 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 has an acronym GVK. Uh, Godzilla versus Call. We're covering this in a couple of weeks. And and so next week we're going to talk to... uh, some we're going to talk to some guests and we're going to kind of talk about our expectations for this little known film gvk uh (laughs) and and talk about what we want to see what we expect uh what side we're on and really just kind of have a good time prepping for our viewing of this film you excited about that alex oh man it's hard not to be (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, after covering all of this, it's hard not to be excited about something that covers two huge franchises we've done. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a lifelong fan. So this is like the equivalent of a Marvel movie for me. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to talking about it next week. Uh, as always, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MVM underscore pod on Letterboxd. I'm Eric Neely. And Alex is sometimes on there at Alex Cornett. You can email us nvmpod at gmail.com or leave us feedback at nvmpod.com. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash nvmpod and receive weekly bonus NVM plus off the cuff episodes. And if you feel so led, leave us a review on iTunes. Those reviews do really help and we'll read it on the show. Monsters vs. Men is produced by Alex Cornett. The executive producers are Faye Basier and Michael Herndon. Special thanks to our wives, Rock Band for PlayStation 3, Senior Honda, Drew the Collector, our Instagram connector, and you, the listener, for listening. Until next week, try, try to stay, stay alive. alive. I'll admit I'm wrong.